0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Isaiah chapter 52, starting to read at verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him... His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness so will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of light, light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 8, which is on page 972 in the Church Bibles. Matthew chapter 8, starting to read at verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases.
1: Uh, Now, you might find it helpful to keep your Bibles open uh, at that uh, passage that we've just had read for us, page 972 and 973. I think you'll also find it helpful to dig out um, this uh, sermon outline, so you'll see where we're going uh, in the next few moments as we continue through this uh, series we've been looking at uh, over the summer. And um, as we sit, let me pray for us now. We've sung, Heavenly Father, the triumphs of your grace and of the honours of your name. And we pray that we would see just how great your grace is this morning and want to honour your name in our lives as a result. Please speak to us profoundly, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the uh, saddest meetings I've ever had um, happened to me about 25 years ago when I was serving my first curacy in Ware in Hertfordshire. I uh, visited a member of the church family who was living in a home for the elderly. As I left, a man was uh, sitting in the common area and um, as I walked out, I caught his eye and just began chatting to him. I asked him how he was uh, and he said to me, I just want to die. As we chatted more, it turned out he wasn't ill or in pain. He just had nothing to look forward to in life anymore. His family didn't visit him he hadn't seen them in years apparently he didn't get out of the home from day to day every day was a monotonous repetition of the day before he had no hope for the future nothing to look forward to it it is impossible to live without hope Uh, we can exist but live uh, you know enjoy life it's just not possible to be hopeless is a terrible existence And it seems we don't have to be at the end of our lives to be overwhelmed by a sense of hopelessness, a tragic accident, a terrible mistake, an overwhelming workload, a poor set of exam results. There are many things that can lead to despair and hopelessness. On Friday, um, quite apart from me having thought about this, I was... I'm having a bit of a time with some friends and one of them told me about a new concept, the quarter-life crisis. Have you heard of this? It seems you don't have to wait till midlife any longer to have a crisis. Uh, It can come quarter of the way through your life. And it does sound funny, but actually, listen to it. People in their late to mid-twenties, early thirties are feeling lost. Many are hopeless as they look to the future. They've been told the world is their oyster They can do anything and they're not very far into life to realise that is not the case. Life does not deliver. You know, along with road traffic accidents, the biggest killer of young men in their early 20s is self-harm. We can't live without hope. Now, wonderfully, as we turn to Matthew chapter eight this morning, we see that no one has to, no one has to live without hope. Whatever your situation, no matter how bleak, it need not be hopeless. Verses 14 to 17 of Matthew 8 conclude a, a short section where Jesus had demonstrated his authority over sickness and illness. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll have seen this. Two weeks ago at the beginning of chapter eight, we saw him heal a leprous man. Last week in verses 5 to 13, he healed the servant of a Roman centurion. Here in this week's section, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then we read verse 16, and this is summing up all this section. Verse 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Here then is Jesus conclusively demonstrating that he has complete authority over everything in this world that ruins this world Jesus is the master of the universe. He has complete power over evil and can banish every sickness. In a sentence, Jesus can turn this world round for good. Now in this section then, we see first of all that Jesus is for everyone, first heading on our handout. Now by that I mean that he is for every type of person. Remember how this chapter began, it begins with the leper. Not only is his suffering physical, but Jewish law insisted that anyone with this man's condition, with leprosy, had to be excluded from society. He was considered to be a spiritually unclean person. He was an outcast, a social pariah, not welcome, not anywhere. If suffering from a disease which deforms and disfigures is not bad enough, this man would have suffered the pain of being cut off from family and friends And from any chance of living a normal life. He couldn't go to the shops. He couldn't go to the gym. He couldn't even go to the cinema on his own. He was excluded from anywhere like that. And of course, he couldn't go to the temple. He was excluded from God. Here then in the first part of chapter eight is a lonely social outcast considered to be unclean. Yet Jesus heard his cry, verse two. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and asked, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And verse three, Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. Then there's the Roman centurion and his servant. They are two very different men, the Roman centurion and the servant. The servant and nobody in society, the centurion, a man who was someone in life with at least 100 men at his beck and call. These two men were very different and yet when struck down with paralysis, both the servant and the centurion felt utterly powerless. They felt hopeless. Sickness and tragic accidents do that. They cut us down to size. They are a great leveller. I think of people I've met down through the years, successful people whose lives have been completely changed in a moment. A scrum collapses. A car crashes. And those who just moments earlier had a bright future and not a worry in the world, it seemed, would never walk again. When tragedy strikes, even the most independent, powerful people in this world can be reduced to be dependents who feel utterly powerless. I think of Christopher Reeve. Remember that name? He won a BAFTA for his portrayal of Superman, of all people. Reeve was thrown from a horse in 1995 and left quadriplegic, never to walk again. Well, this... Roman centurion wasn't superman but he was successful but his rank and position in life counted for nothing when faced with paralysis but here's the thing both the Roman centurion a successful man and his servant a nobody were both recipients of God's grace through Jesus as we saw last week. But there's something else that's really important about the centurion, something we must not miss. He was a Roman. Again, this was pointed out to us last week. He was a Roman, a Gentile, a non-Jew. And as such, he was considered to be excluded from God's kingdom. Yet Jesus not only engaged with him and listened to him and answered his plea, but Jesus even publicly praised him for his remarkable faith, verse 10. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith, said Jesus. And as Jesus kind of openly applauded this Gentile's faith, he then declared that other Gentiles would be granted a place in heaven. Verse 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. That is east and west of Jerusalem. That is outside of Jerusalem. That is outside of the kingdom, apparently. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven you see what is going on here? Jesus is for everyone. Lepers, Gentiles, slaves. And then verse 14, Peter's mother-in-law. Now why is she mentioned? Well, she's a woman. It might be stating the obvious. Why would I mention it? Well, it does need to be noted because in first century Israelite society, women were considered to be about as worthy of God's favour as a skunk at the beginning of the day, Israelite men would open their Jewish prayer book and they would pray this prayer. Blessed are you, Hashem. Hashem is a sort of Jewish title for God. Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, for not having made me a Gentile. Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, for not having made me a slave. Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, for not having made me a woman. It is a highly offensive prayer. But it gives us an insight into the thinking of the day, and it shows us how Jesus' actions were so radical, so so countercultural. For here in Matthew 8 is a Gentile, a slave, and a woman, along with a leper, an unclean social outcast, and they are all healed by Jesus. Jesus is for everyone the powerful, the weak. Uh, The outcast, the hopeless, the forgotten, the lowliest of the low, the most despised in society, all embraced by Jesus, all helped by him. Do you see, this is saying that what Jesus has to offer is on offer for all. No one's beyond the pale. Whatever the popular religious view, no one need be excluded from Jesus. There is hope for everyone And the summary of this section reinforces that very point. You see verse 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Many were brought to Jesus that day. Jesus is not just interested in a chosen few. And verse 16, Jesus healed all the sick. Now look, that Jesus is for all is both a challenge and a comfort. It's a challenge to those of us who'd exclude people from the grace of God. We might never verbalise it, but I'm just asking for a bit of honesty here. Look into your own heart. We think it. When you look at somebody and your thoughts towards them are, are really disparaging. The person begging outside the shops at Broom Hill. The prostitute. The druggie the pedophile, the bent copper, the the people trafficker, the person that's made your life a misery, the boss at work, the aggressive neighbour, the cowboy builder who's ripped you off. What if someone like that, someone we really don't like or approve of, someone we consider to be the scum of the earth, someone with a horrible history, or come to that, someone with a present lifestyle that we find, frankly, disgusting. What if someone like that started to come to church? And what if we knew what they were like and what they'd done? And what if we'd been affected by their wretched actions? Would we believe that the grace of God is as much for them as for us? It's a challenge, but it's also a comfort, a huge comfort, There'll be people we know, and come to that, there'll be some here today who feel that Jesus wouldn't possibly be interested in them. You're too bad. You're not the religious type. You don't even know why you're here this morning. You don't fit in, but not just at church. You don't fit in anywhere. You know what you are, you know what you've done, you know what you think. And you can't believe that God would accept you. Well, look, if that is you, or if that describes someone you know, then please know the comfort of what we see here. Jesus is for all. The leper, the centurion, the servant, the woman. Jesus healed all the sick who were brought to him. Jesus is for everyone. And then second, Jesus is for everything. By which I, I mean every, every kind of situation, every problem, every difficulty. Look, if there are some in this world who think that Jesus won't be interested in them, there are others who think Jesus can't do anything for them. Again, it might be you, it might be someone you know. Uh, you, you look at your life and believe it is so messed up. Or your situation is so complex or desperate, you, you can't see that Jesus is the answer because you can't see any answer. You are hopeless. You think there's no way through, no way out. Well, if that's you, then here we see that Jesus is for everything, in that he is the answer to every conceivable trouble in life. The leper had an incurable disease, at least it was back then. Leprosy was yesterday's aggressive cancer. The consultant gets the test results back and says, I'm sorry, but there's nothing we can do for you. Leprosy was yesterday's Ebola virus. Uh, You are not only very sick and likely to die, but you pose a threat to society and you must be isolated, quarantined, excluded from everyone. That's how serious leprosy was. But Jesus came along and healed the man. More than that, he touched the man, verse three, reaching out with his hand. What compassion. Jesus, the man who could heal from a distance by just saying a word, indeed he does it in the very next few verses, Yet still he chooses to reach out and touch the untouchable. It's compassionate and it's powerful because after this encounter with Jesus, the leper went to the priest, verse four, and he was declared clean by the law. It was, verse four, testimony to who Jesus was, the one who fulfilled God's law, the one who could make clean what the law declared unclean, dirty, dirty. Do you see if you think Jesus will not help you because your past leaves you feeling dirty and unclean, excluded, if you have a history or come to that a present that haunts you, if you feel lonely and desperate, if you feel cut off from everyone around you, or if you fear that if people knew your past they would cut you off, be comforted. Jesus is for everything, even when we think the situation is impossible, the leper. And then again, look at the centurion and his servant, struck down with paralysis. The servant was suddenly useless to his master. He was already a slave, for goodness sake. Now he wasn't even any use for that lowly position. The centurion was a powerful ally. He had means, he certainly had contacts, he might even have had money. But none of that meant anything in this situation. His servant was suffering from something that couldn't even be healed today despite all our medical advances. It wouldn't have been able to be healed back then. And so the servant and the centurion were powerless with no hope for the future. That was not an experience the centurion had felt very often. He was used to getting things done, sorting issues out but this was beyond him and beyond anyone it seemed. Maybe that's how you feel. It might well be that, like this servant, in one mad moment, your life has been changed forever. No, it might not be an accident. You may not be paralyzed, but something has happened, whether it's physical or something else. You look at your situation and it appears to be irreparable. It's the sort of situation that even if you knew the right people, they wouldn't be able to solve the problem. Like the servant, you might think to yourself, life will never be the same again. All the enjoyment of life is gone. The future looks bleak. Look, if that's you, then in Jesus' encounter with the Roman centurion, you should take comfort and find wonderful hope. Jesus is for everything, even the most hopeless situation. And uh, maybe your situation is not as chronic as leprosy or as acute as paralysis. Perhaps, like Peter's mother in law, you've been laid low. She had a fever, we're told in verse 14. Some suggest uh, it was malaria. Boy, did she feel ill. Maybe at times it was touch and go, whether she'd pulled through. Uh, For you, it might not be a physical illness, it might be, but whatever has happened leaves you wondering if you'll ever be restored, if life will ever be normal again. It's really hit you for six. Again, take comfort and know that Jesus is for everything, for every type of trouble. Verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. With Jesus, life can be changed in an instant. Peter's mother-in-law didn't gradually get better. No, this was miraculous. Instantly, up on her feet, Peter's mother-in-law was offering hospitality to her house guest. Look, one way or another, these healings show us that The good news is that Jesus is for everything, for every situation. And again, that is reinforced in our summary verse, verse 16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Jesus delivered the demon-possessed and healed the sick. Now look, do you see those two groups? Evil and illness. Wickedness and sickness. They are the things that ruin life. Evil regimes and dictators cause wars and famines and untold suffering. Evil drug barons create turf wars, escalating gun violence and knife crime, not to mention the untold number of lives that are wrecked by drugs. Wicked gangs traffic defenceless defenseless men and women. Monsters groom, trap and sexually abuse vulnerable people, even children. Council officials in this country allow homeless children to be housed in shipping containers selfish leaders and governments have a greater desire for power and money and wealth creation than they do for climate change look i could go on and on you watch the news as well as i do there is an evil underbelly that is behind all this we're not struggling against flesh and blood but against the rulers authorities and powers in this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms That evil presence ruins this wonderful world, not to mention the wicked actions of ordinary people like you and me, as we selfishly put ourselves and our wants before others, leaving a trail of broken relationships behind us, hurting even those we love the most. Evil and wickedness ruins life, as does sickness. I've only been back from sabbatical for six days, and yet in this last week, I've been told of a death, I've visited a man who's dying of cancer. I've visited another who had a stroke. I've talked to people about a broken relationship. I've talked to others about an abusive relationship. I've had conversations about a job that was made impossible by a boss causing mental anguish. Just in this church family, people are suffering physically, emotionally, and mentally. And look, my point is this, evil and sickness are things that ruin this life. They are two of the great marks that we live in a broken world. And here in verse 16, is Jesus driving out all evil spirits that are brought to him and healing all the sick that are brought to him. The point is, Jesus is for everything. Everything. If ever you despair that there's no one who can solve the problems in this world or the problems in your world, Matthew says Jesus can. You need not be hopeless ever. Jesus is for everyone, Jesus is for everything and third and finally, Jesus is for eternity. Look, from from what I've said so far, you might well be sitting here thinking to yourself well look that that all sounds well and good but it's not reality where have you been on sabbatical Paul la la land cloud cuckoo land please come back to earth because Jesus might be for everyone you might not be doubting that but he doesn't deal with everything Christians still get sick and die I've just mentioned it We still live in a world full of evil wickedness which ruins life. Come on. Let's get real. Well, look, this third point brings the reality you rightly cry for. Look what Matthew writes in verse 17. This, that is, Everything Jesus has just done. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. It is as if Matthew says here, if you really want to understand what's going on with these miracles, if you really want to understand what's happening here in Matthew 8 for the first 16 verses, you've got to go back to the prophet Isaiah. So let's do just that. Keep your finger or a piece of something in Matthew 8 and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, page 740. And the first of the readings that Dave read for us um, uh, earlier in the service, page 740, Isaiah 53. Remember, we're going back here because Matthew says, you want to understand what these healings are about? You've got to understand them through Isaiah. Isaiah explains them to you. Now, as we come to Isaiah 53, verse four of Isaiah 53 is the verse that Matthew quotes. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Now, let me put this verse into context for you because we've just landed in the middle of a book. The book of uh, of Isaiah is a book which moves from the, in, in chapter one and, well, the first five chapters really, moves from, Jerusalem being a terribly sinful city, full of rebellious people rebelling against God, causing all the heartache and pain of any great city in this world. It's terrible, the things that are going on there. That's chapters one to five of Jerusalem, of Isaiah. That's how the book opens. But it ends in chapter 65 and 66 with glorious hope, a glorious vision of a new Jerusalem, a new heavens and a new earth, a a glorious new city populated by the redeemed people of God. It's a city where, quote, never again will there be an infant who lives only a few days. No more death. It's a place where, quote, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. Peace, no more war, no more evil. See, Isaiah promises a glorious future in the new creation, paradise where there'll be no sickness, no wickedness, no illness, no evil. How do we get from Isaiah 1 to 5 this terrible situation in Jerusalem with with a, a wicked people to a glorious place where the redeemed are? Well, the whole book, but Isaiah 53 is the high point. And in Isaiah 53, we discover how... That place, that promised new creation can be a reality for you and me. How we can move from a wicked people to a, in an evil city to a glorious new creation. That promised new creation comes through Isaiah chapter 3 verse 4. Someone taking our infirmities and our sorrows upon themselves. Matthew says then in quoting this, Jesus is that someone. Now for most of us here that's no surprise. As we read on in Isaiah chapter 53, we discover how Jesus does this. Look at Isaiah 53 verse four. Surely he takes up our infirmities and carries our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see, 600 years before Jesus walked this planet, Isaiah predicted Jesus' death on the cross. See it there in verse six, being pierced by nails in his hands and feet and a sword that was thrust into his side. See it there in verse six, he was crushed. Physically, as his internal organs were compressed by the pressure of hanging on a cross, he was crushed emotionally as all his friends deserted him while he was being unjustly accused in a kangaroo court and then wrongly executed for crimes he hadn't committed. He was crushed spiritually as he was abandoned and punished by the Almighty, resulting in him crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here is Isaiah predicting the cross of Christ, but more than that, here is Isaiah interpreting and explaining the cross of Christ. See, Isaiah says, if you and I had been there when Jesus was crucified, if we'd been there at the time and we'd looked at Jesus dying, while it happened, verse four, we'd have considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, and that is precisely what happened. 2,000 years ago, as Jesus died on the cross, the crowd that gathered to watch that gruesome act hurled their insults at Jesus. They assumed he was guilty and cursed by God. But Isaiah says, no. As Jesus died, he wasn't dying an accursed death. He was dying for us. Well, not in the way that we might think he was accursed. He was dying for us, verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Verse five, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Verse six, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus' death on the cross was a substitutionary act. He substituted himself for us. Verse six, we have gone astray, we've turned away. Verse five, we've transgressed, we are iniquitous, we have sinned, but he lived the perfect life. Never turned from God, never strayed, never sinned. But he loved us, he loves you. So in his love, he substituted himself. He took the can, he took the blame, he took the punishment, giving us forgiveness. And that is the way to the glorious new creation that Isaiah points to towards the end of the book, you see? Right here in Isaiah 53. How do we go from chapter one to chapter 66? We go through the death of Jesus Christ. Because of his death, he will give us that wonderful hope where there'll be no illness No sickness, no wickedness, no evil. And so as we turn back to Matthew chapter eight, and as we bring everything to a close and round things up, Matthew is saying Jesus is the promised one of Isaiah fifty three, and here's the important thing to grasp hold of. If you've just lost if I've lost you for a moment, here's the thing. Wake up again. Matthew eight is a glimpse, says Matthew a window, if you like, into all that he can do for you in the new creation, whoever you are. Jesus cleansed the leper and healed the centurion's servant and restored Peter's mother-in-law and he repeated those kind of miraculous moments as the demon-possessed and the sick all brought him. He did those things, Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He did those things to prove to us To prove to us that what he, Jesus, would be able to give us because of his death on the cross. These miracles are a glimpse for us of a future that will be given to anyone, indeed everyone, who turns to Jesus. So here's the thing as we begin to sum up. Can God heal today as he did then? Yes. Does God still heal today as he did then? Yes. And so is this a promise that Christians today will be healed and delivered of all sickness and evil? No, says Matthew in verse 17. These miracles are given to us as a picture of what Jesus would achieve through the cross, Isaiah 53, and then finally deliver in the heavenly new creation, Isaiah 65 and 66. That's where we're going to experience all of this. That is where our great hope is. See, when Jesus began his public ministry, he said, to Ma- he said uh, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the kingdom of heaven is near. And here he's showing what that kingdom of heaven is like. It's a glorious glimpse of what is to come. And look, this is so much better than only being healed now. Look, I want to say that cautiously as people are suffering But why is it so much better than only being healed now? Because even those who are healed today still get sick and die later. And even when evil is eradicated from one part of the world, it raises its ugly head somewhere else, sooner or later. But Jesus is for eternity. He can give a glorious, heavenly new creation, a future that will never end A future where we'll be safe and secure forever. A future free from all evil and illness. Once and for all, he can give us the hope we all need. No matter how bleak it is in this world, you have a hope, Christian. So if you think your situation is impossible for anyone to sort out, if the future looks bleak, if you cannot see a way through, if hope is ebbing away or all but gone, look again at the leper and the centurion and his servant and Peter's mother-in-law and all the people who were brought that day. Look at what Jesus did for them. He can do it for you, no matter who you are or what you've done or how bad your situation is. In Jesus, the guarantee of a wonderful future where you and I and the whole creation Will be fully and finally restored forever. That's hope. Let's pray. We sung earlier, Heavenly Father, the triumphs of your grace. What grace! What a triumph! on the cross, given freely to us who don't deserve any of it. A great triumph, a victory won, a great hope of the future. And so just as we sung earlier that we want to honour your name, we do indeed as we read of this and hear of this. May those who walked in today who felt hopeless feel the glorious hope of the gospel. May those of us who came feeling quite hopeful realize that it is important that we tell the world that is hopeless of the hope that we have. And may it all be to the honor of your name, Lord and God. Amen.